Well, hello, Clearwater Church. You're looking great. Thank you. It's been a while. It's been a while. I, I am very proud of us uh, that, that we're a church where I can go and you guys just keep going. So special thanks to the staff, Pastor James, Pastor Brian, Grace Allen, Louise Witt, uh, and all the volunteers who serve so faithfully week after week so that Sabrina and I could go get a, a break. And it was great. And then when we got home, uh, Alaska reminded us that it was Alaska. But that's okay. We, we love Alaska. It's great. Well, um, I was keeping up with the sermons while I was gone and uh, reading on the Sermon on the Mount. And so I'm really, I feel privileged to be able to jump back in um, to the sermon series. It's as to be expected from a sermon preached by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is uh, powerful, profound, and just um, brilliant. It's brilliant. And so I've been challenged to uh, as I'm sure you have as well. And so I'm excited to be a part of this. Now, if you, I really encourage you to be in a journey group because life is better together. The Christian life is meant to be lived in community. Uh, and, you know, I'm preaching to the choir, right? Here you are at church. Uh, church is awesome. But journey groups are great because that's where we can make sure that people know what's going on in our lives and we can do uh, life, really do life together and pray for each other, encourage each other, and make sure that nobody slips through the cracks. And there are some of our journey groups. By the way, we have journey group catalogs uh, back near the offering box. And some of our journey groups are actually uh, discussing the sermon for the week. And so if you want to get even more out of the sermon series, you can get in one of those journey groups. So I've titled uh, today's message, Keeping Rules Isn't Enough. Keeping rules isn't enough. And, and uh, our text today is Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be looking primarily at uh, verses 21 to 32. And I think the big idea of today's text, I think what Jesus is trying to get across today is that uh, we can be rule keepers and have a heart that is far from God. Uh, remember, Jesus challenged the Pharisees, and he said, you're like whitewashed tombs. Uh, you work really hard to, to, to get the exterior of your life looking pleasant, but inside you're rotting. And, and so what Jesus knows is we don't need just a better, a greater commitment to, to keep the rules and toe the line. We need an, a renovation of the heart. And uh, the prophet Ezekiel many, many years before Jesus even came, said someday the Messiah will come and God is going to remove from his people a heart of stone and put into them a heart of flesh. And so Jesus came and pronounced the coming of the kingdom of God. And, and one of the things he's doing is, is he is, uh, through his teaching, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he is giving his people a heart of flesh as Dallas Willard calls it, a renovation of the heart that the Holy Spirit does in us. Now, I want to start actually in verse 20, and this was a verse that uh, wrapped up a section Pastor James preached on two weeks ago when he said, when Jesus said, you know, I did not come, don't think I came to abolish the law and the prophets, I didn't come to abolish them, uh, I came to fulfill them. In fact, no part of the of, of the Old Testament will be lost 
It will all be fulfilled and find its completion in me. And he ends that section by saying, I tell you this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So I want to start there. What in the world did Jesus mean by that? And I have to think that that statement was quite daunting for his original uh, audience. Uh, you know, the scribes were the, the paid religious professionals in Israel at that time. I mean, they're the pastor types. And the Pharisees, lay people, not paid to be good, but they were the, uh, they were the most extreme law keepers. They were the most righteous in the eyes of the Jews at the time because righteousness was, in many minds, was a, associated with rule keeping. And so I think that most of Jesus' audience is thinking, we don't even pretend to, we don't even try to be as righteous as the scribes and the Pharisees, much less try to exceed them. And so what in the world are you telling us? I think Jesus is saying that. I think Jesus is saying, what Jesus knows is he knows that for many of the scribes and the Pharisees, they're just trying to keep the rules. And that's not enough. Jesus is trying to create a new people who will, whose hearts will beat with the heart of God. And who won't just be interested in keeping the rules. They'll be interested in being like their father so that rule keeping comes naturally. Not white knuckled. I'm trying to, to resist the temptations and, and do, do it God's way. All right, so let's, let's go ahead and look now in our text, Matthew chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, awesome. Open them up. To, open them up. Otherwise, uh, I've got some of the texts up on the screen. Because what Jesus does here in verses 21, actually, for the rest of the chapter, is he then begins to unpack what he means by his statement, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes of the Pharisees. So the, the, the calling of the kingdom of heaven on the, on the citizens of heaven is, is a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes of the Pharisees. Let me, uh, let me show you what that looks like in six areas of life. And uh, for the sake of time today, we're going to just deal with three of them. But the six are how we handle our, our anger, our interpersonal tensions, how we handle lust, how we handle divorce uh, or marriage, fidelity, uh, oath-taking or the, uh, being truth-tellers, how we handle retaliation against those who have harmed us, and, and ultimately how we deal with our enemies. And the, and the structure is this. Jesus starts with, he, in each of these sections, he says, You have heard it said, but I say unto you. And by the way, one of the things that shocked Jesus' audience, uh, those who heard this Sermon on the Mount, was the fact that Jesus taught them as one who had authority. And that was shocking to them. Well, he does have authority because he's the son of the living God, and he's the one who can tell us the real uh, significance of any Old Testament law. What is it that God was really caring about? And, and in these sections, Jesus is not, he, he is not abrogating any of the uh, Old Testament law. He is fulfilling it. He is showing us its real heart and, and, and its real meaning. And so here's the first one, uh, starting in verse 21. 
You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Thou shalt not murder, one of the Ten Commandments. Elsewhere, Moses specifies that that there is judgment associated with murder, even uh, the judgment of death. And so Jesus isn't saying, don't worry about that. But apparently, what was going on is you had people like the scribes and the Pharisees saying, as long as I don't act out on my hatred and anger and bitterness and scorn, I'm fine. All that matters is that I don't murder. And Jesus says, but I tell, but I say unto you, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You see, what Jesus knows is that murder is merely the kind of final stage in a, in a whole progression of, a whole continuum of things that happen inside us, right? We get angry. We get hurt. Uh, we become bitter. We choose not to forgive. Uh, we choose not to seek peace, but rather to stew. And we begin to, ins- uh, we begin to try to tear down our uh, we label people as enemies. We begin to tear down, try to tear down their reputation with slander. Uh, we begin to curse them in our own minds and hearts. And then, sometimes it winds up in actual murder. And what Jesus is saying, uh, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, who, who they, they, they feel fine spiritually as long as they're not killing anybody. But what I'm calling my people to... You want to be a citizen of heaven. You want to be uh, a follower of the Messiah. I want to take all of that junk that leads to murder and get it out of your heart. Rewind to the first sermon Pastor James preached, the Beatitudes. And one of the Beatitudes that are blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. God, our Father in heaven, loves peace. And he wants people to be at peace with each other. He wants brothers to care about each other, to prioritize the other person's needs and feelings and hopes and dreams on par with my own. And so what's, what's our spiritual goal? I think this is one of the first challenges Mike, what's my spiritual goal? Is my spiritual goal, don't kill anybody so I don't get put in prison? Or is my spiritual goal, don't hate anybody, don't insult anybody? As much as it depends on me, be at peace with all men. Love my fellow man. What's your goal? Verse 23, Jesus then in the next couple of verses gives two ex- examples of how this plays out. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So he's saying, look, you know, you're at church and uh, you're about to you know, deposit 
some cash in the offering plate, which I greatly encourage. Yes. Uh, but he says, and you remember somebody's got something against you? Put that, put that cash back in your pocket. Get up. Leave church. Go find that brother who's, who's uh, angry at you, who has an issue with you, and get reconciled. And he, that's shocking. That's Jesus saying, let me, let me prioritize for you spiritually peace in your, inter, in your relationships. It's more important to God than, than that you tithe. Now, I would say do both and, right? But, but Jesus is making, a, a, he's really making a, a point about how important it is to God that we live at peace. By the way, he hasn't said, um, if your brother has something against you with warrant, <laughs> this is something I like to do, is when, peop- when I know somebody's mad at me, I-, I think, do they have a real reason to be mad at me? And then I think, no. <laughs> nope. They're, they're wrong. They ha- that's not legit. So I'm not going to waste my time with their issues. You ever done that? I let myself off the hook because I've decided that their, their issue with me is not valid. So I don't need to waste any of my precious time and energy seeking, uh, going out and being a peacemaker. They need to just figure it out on their own and come to me and apologize. How about this? Verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penalty. So here's an example. Here's a situation where Jesus says, somebody's so upset with you, they're headed to court because they want to get a judgment against you. They want to force you to own up to what you've done to pay. Jesus says, intersect, you know, intercept them on their way to court and do what, you, what you've got to do to, to resolve it. Uh, he, come to terms quickly. Come to terms quickly. So, and again, he's, he's not saying if you're wrong. He's just saying <laughs> peace is important. Come to terms means you, you say, what do I have to do? To, to make this go away, what do I have to do to calm you down and to you know to to you know make you feel whole? Uh, well, I need you to apologize. I need you to pay. I think you owe me. I need you to go and tell these people that you were wrong. And sometimes the demands are absolutely uh, you know not true, and and so there are limits to this, right? I think that's why that as much as depends on you, be at peace with all men, is very wise. But I think Jesus is saying, be willing to pay the price for peace. That's how important peacemaking, this is what peacemaking looks like. Uh, By the way, blessed are the peacemakers is not the same as blessed are those who are at peace. (laughs) Because I could be at peace when you're mad at me. Because you don't care. I don't care about you, right? Who cares if you're mad at me? I'm still perfectly at peace. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who are at peace. He says, blessed are those who are peacemakers. In other words, you go. You pay the price. You, you head to where that you know that there is conflict in order to be a bring peace, the peace of God to that relationship. And it's, this is not 
always fun. It's not always easy. It's not always simple. And it's not always possible. But, but blessed are the peacemakers. In other words, it's the person who is seeking to bring the peace of God to relationships that, that, it, that God is smiling on and he is blessing them and that's the best way to live your life. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, don't you, you know, in the kingdom of heaven, you can't just settle for, hey, I didn't murder and so I'm fine. No, no, no. We're not going to insult our brothers. We're not going to have contempt for them. All that junk that leads to murder, God wants it out of our hearts. All right, now to the topic of lust. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said, so once again, right? You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, that's another Ten Commandments. Jesus isn't saying, don't worry about that. But apparently, some of the Jews in Jesus' day, um, they again, they just said, okay, the target is don't commit adultery. And as long as I'm not having an affair, and not, as long as I'm not cheating on my spouse, I'm fine. Jesus says, actually, the bar is a lot higher than that. But I say unto you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoa. Whoa, it's not enough to just say, okay, I'm not going to have an affair. Jesus says, no, in the kingdom of heaven... You're like Job, and you say, I make a covenant with my eyes. I will not look lustfully on a woman. And, and you, you pursue purity at a heart level, at a mind level. And so that when you relate to younger women in the church, you relate to them as sisters. And older women, you relate to as mothers. And you relate in the kingdom of God with absolute sexual purity. That's the goal. That, that's what the kingdom of heaven, those are the kingdom of heaven values, and that's what I'm calling you to. Wait, can't I just settle for I'm not acting out on my fantasy world? Right? Can't I be on the internet titillating myself, listening to those songs that gets me all excited? Look, but not act and touch. Not according to Jesus. That's not the standard of, of, of sexual purity in the kingdom of heaven. He goes on. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, then that your whole body go into hell. Jesus is not advocating self-mutilation. He's, he is using metaphor. <laughs> and what he's saying is, hey, you need to be willing to pay a price in the pursuit of sexual purity. You, you need to be willing to Work hard at this. Go after this. 
It's going to cost you, but it's worth it. In the kingdom of heaven, you prioritize sexual purity and you, and you pay the price necessary. Now, Origen, one of the early church fathers, actually castrated himself uh, in order to follow this rule. So I want to make clear that this, that's not what Jesus is saying here. That Origen was wrong in that. Uh, because actually it's not the eye and the hand that causes us to sin. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. So, but, listen... Um, you know, it might, it might be that you need to stop listening to some music. It might mean that you need to cancel uh, a streaming service. It might need, mean that you get off social media, right? It might be that you call a friend and say, I am struggling to, to be sexually pure, a Christian brother or, or sister, and you say, I need help. Would you hold me accountable? It might be that you go to a sexual addiction group, it might be that you confess your sin to your spouse. I, I don't know, but, you know, what Jesus is saying is do something, and it's worth, it's worth, be, worth being drastic in order to be sexually pure, in order to live out the values of the kingdom of heaven. So, listen, we live in a society in which this kind of sexual purity is not a value. Um, sometimes I watch SNL, confession. Sometimes I laugh, second confession. And uh, let me tell you, it, it, more and more this idea of uh, addiction to pornography is just a joke. It, uh, and society is just kind of, it seems to me that, that our society bar, by and large says uh, that's just what guys do. In fact, the statistics are it's not just guys. Women are getting addicted heavily, shocking percentages. So, you know, it's just what people do, right? And there's no expectation of controlling the mind. Just, you know, if, you're, if you get yourself into some committed relationship, well, hey, don't act, you know, don't have an affair. That, wouldn't be, that would be bad. But, so anyways, it seems like our whole, our society has lost this vision, aspiration, goal of biblical sexual purity. And uh, don't let that go in your own life, right? Because uh, blessed are the pure. That's what, the, that's what Jesus said, blessed are the pure. In other words, that purity is the kind of life that is blessed and that God blesses. Last section here for today is divorce. Verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And that is something that Moses had said. Um, later, somebody asked in another place, someone asked Jesus, why, if you're so down on divorce, Jesus, did Moses say we could get divorced as long as we gave a certificate of divorce. And Jesus said it's because of the hardness of your hearts. Moses knows the hardness of your hearts, but that was never God's intent. God's intent was always that marriage be for a lifetime. So, here's what's going on. What's going on is that uh, in Jesus' day, apparently, and we get this from uh, writings of the rabbis around Jesus' day, that uh, what what the Jewish men were focused on was 
make sure you give the certificate of divorce so that the woman is free to go out and remarry because at that time to be a single woman was pretty economically risky and in, viable. In so you, you got to cut her loose so that she can go get married again. Don't hold her hostage. Um, that's what they were focusing on. So what does God care about? It's not that whether or not you, you know, you can divorce. In fact, some of the rabbis said you can divorce your wife if she burns the toast and, and you're not happy, right? If she displeases you, you don't want her anymore, fine, just make sure you give her a certificate of divorce. That was what was considered the righteous thing to do. And Jesus says, but I tell you. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery presumably because she has to go get remarried in order to survive, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Whoa. <laughs> Jesus says, in the kingdom of heaven, when you get married, it's for a lifetime. And the only biblical grounds for divorce is sexual unfaithfulness on the part of your spouse. Your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, the, the spiritual goal for the Christian is way, way higher than it was for the scribes and the Pharisees or for the world around us. <clears throat> the, the divorce statistics in the church are disappointing, very disappointing. And so I want to take a moment to just remind you of the biblical teaching on divorce and remarriage. And, and let me just say, there are many men and women whom I love and admire as Christian brothers and sisters who have been divorced. And so, but there's nobody who hates divorce more than somebody who's gone through it and seen the devastation in their own heart and life and the life of their family. And, and from the pulpit, we cannot dumb down or lower the values of the kingdom of God so that people don't feel bad. We, from the pulpit, we say, this is the standard. This is what God calls us to. And then we all fall short. And we all have to confess our sins and find grace and find forgiveness and, and confess our sins to each other so that we may be healed. So, listen, if you've been divorced and you hear this and it grieves you, you know what? You can't change the past. That's, uh, the past, praise God, is covered by the the atoning blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. But we can commit from today forward to live the kingdom values in the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, so here's what the Bible teaches about divorce. Number one, and this is in your bulletin, so you can take it home. Number one, marriage for a lifetime is God's design and desire. Uh, God has designed God came up with uh, with marriage and he and marriage is to be between a man and a woman and when you say I do it's until death do us part that's God's design and his desire number 2 divorce is not allowed except in cases when one spouse is sexually unfaithful okay? it's the only biblical grounds for divorce is the sexual unfaithfulness of your spouse. And there is debate about what exactly that term means here. Uh, you know, is it, yeah, there is some debate, but it, it is a sexual unfaithfulness. 
Number three, if you separate from your spouse for reasons other than infidelity, which is sexual unfaithfulness, you must remain single or be reconciled. If you came to me and said, my husband or my wife is abusing me, I would say, get out of the situation. Physically separate. If I knew that that was abuse was happening, I would encourage you to physically separate. You do not need to be living uh, in an abusive situation. But I would not encourage you to divorce. I, I would say physically separate, challenge your spouse to change, then be open to God working in their lives. And if God works in their lives, then respond to that. Fortunately, here in the state of Alaska, we have something called um, legal separation, which gives, which gives uh, someone the um, legal protections of divorce without actually having to be divorced. I think that's a good thing. Now, I have seen people abuse this. People always are twisting. And, and they're like, by the way, this, this is not the same thing as saying if you have buyer's remorse, it's okay to separate. And, and abuse, right? People say, I, my, my wife no longer supports all my pet interests. I'm being abused. No, that's not abuse, right? And, and so we can, we can go all over the place and justify whatever we want to do. Um, but here's what else this means. If you separate from your spouse, including divorce, so you might have separated from your spouse by saying, I divorce you going and getting the paperwork, you're now legally divorced. If your spouse has not remarried or gone and slept with, uh, slept with somebody else, you are not free to remarry, biblically. You must remain single and be open to reconciliation. In fact, I think be a peacemaker, do what you can uh, to bring about reconciliation. So what does that mean? It means... Uh, so this is the the church is the earthly you know king, organized kingdom of heaven, and we have to live out the values of the kingdom of heaven, which is the kingdom that will last forever, and it does not look like the world around us. And so in the church, unfortunately, there many people just think, oh, if I'm divorced, I can go get remarried. Not according to the Bible. So um, so some sometimes. People come to me and they're like, hey, I want to get remarried. And I'm like, well, are you free to get remarried? Is the person that you're wanting to marry biblically free? What are you talking about? We're divorced. That's, it's, that's not all there is to it. Um, I, I did not attend the wedding of a friend of mine who I did not believe was biblically free to marry. And I told him that. And they said, well, come to my wedding. I said, I can't do that. And I got blowback from from uh, our friend circle. Uh, there have been people that I said, I'm, I won't marry you. I do not think you need to wait and hold out the hope that God will reconcile your marriage. And that's, people don't want to hear that, right? That's hard to do with people we care. Just within the last few weeks, Sabrina had to tell the, a young woman who was super excited about this guy. She said, hey, based on what you're telling me, he's not free to, he, he's not free to marry at this point, he, he's, he needs to stay open to reconciling with his ex. That's not, people don't want to hear that when you're 
in love and you've gone, by the way, be careful, don't let your, you, don't, you know, in the light of this, don't go too far down that road until you've ferreted out these questions, <laughs> right? And if you, if you need help ferreting that out, I'm happy to talk with you about that. Well, if you're listening to Jesus, you're thinking, how in the world are we supposed to live up to that? And, and we can't do it on our own, right? But the Holy Spirit helps us. And these are the values of the kingdom that we are going to live out perfectly throughout, throughout, throughout all eternity. Praise God. It's going to be awesome. Who doesn't want to live in a, in, a, in a society like that? Who doesn't want to be that kind of a person? That's beautiful. But we can step into the kingdom of heaven more and more even now in the power of the Holy Spirit. As we engage this whole process of, all right, from the word of God, I see, I see, the, uh, I see what God's calling me to. And man, I'm not even close to being that. Would God, would you help me? Spirit of living God, help me today to live more in light of those values and then we fail and we say ah that's not what person i want to be god please forgive me for my lust please forgive me for my unfaithfulness please forgive me for this this anger in my heart lord you've convicted me i have bitterness i need to go and 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 it's just it's a lifelong tussle and struggle as we apply the gospel day by day to to our lives and to our relationships and slowly, the Holy Spirit uh, begins to renovate our hearts. And we find ourselves uh, becoming more and more like Jesus. And, and, and let me just say, I, I think that if you are in the power of God fighting the battle against anger and hatred and bad thinking towards your friend and you're forgiving when, when you're aware that you're hurt... If you're fighting the battle there, I, I doubt you're going to go out and kill somebody. And if you are pursuing sexual purity at the mind level, I doubt you're going to go off and have an affair. Right? And if you are striving day by day to be faithful in your marriage, I doubt you're going to just say, I'm done. And I want to divorce you and move on. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. In our own power, in strength, that is daunting. That seems impossible. But God removes from us the heart of stone. He puts into us a heart of flesh. He gives us the, his Holy Spirit to indwell us and to help us. He gives us the community of saints to strengthen each other and encourage each other. And this is, the, this is who we will be and, and the society in which we will live for all eternity. To me, that's exciting and that's awesome. All right, close your eyes, bow your heads. Let's respond. Just a few questions for you. What is your spiritual goal? To be a better rule keeper? or to have your heart renovated so that it begins to beat with the heart, in line with the heart of God. Are you 
contenting yourself with being at peace. Who cares if other people are mad at me? Who cares if the relationships I have around me are, are damaged? Or are you, are you committed to being a peacemaker and paying the cost to bring about peace in your relationships? Lust. What, are you committed to sexual purity as defined by Jesus our Lord? Or are you saying, well, as long as I don't have an affair, I'm fine. Divorce. Have you, and have you made a commitment in your heart that I will be faithful to my spouse in good times and in bad till death do us part because I am modeling to my spouse to my children, to my friends and family, the world around me, uh, the faithful heart of God. Right now, ask the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, help me to live even more the values of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.